Life, whether you like it or not, happens to everyone. We don't get to choose our testimony, but we are called to share the journey. Hi, everybody. I'm BJ Foster, and this is Withholding Nothing, a podcast for the soul. Let's do this thing. I'm so very excited to be able to share with you this week a very dear family friend, Jeff Wattstrom. Jeff is an evangelist. He is a visionary and first and foremost, a husband and a father. But Jeff and Mary Wastrom have led ministries literally all over the world. And to learn from him the different things that God has taught him along the way has been so inspiring, inspirational for my husband and I. And I pray that it will be the same for you. So kick back, relax. I'm not going to insert myself into this one. I'm just going to hand the microphone over to Jeff and let him share his heart. But do indeed kick back, relax, and learn. This is Jeff Wattstrom. We call this episode, God, Do Your Thing, Withholding Nothing, a podcast for the soul. I'm really excited for you guys just to hear Jeff Wattstrom and Jeff is just an intense guy. (laughs) So Jeff, I'm just going to let you share uh, about the work that you're doing down in Mexico and really how you came to this. I mean, it just kind of seemed like it came out of the blue. I'm sure it did not, but I'm going to let you just share with us how God brought you to this place in life. You know, I started studying Jesus' life and going, okay, number one, anyone who, you know, calls themselves a Christian, quote unquote, must walk as Jesus walked. I'm going, okay, how did Jesus walk? Where did he walk? What did he do? Um, And of course, Matthew 25, you know, really talks a lot about how, hey, if you're hungry, uh, you know, you gave me something to drink if I, or something to eat. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was in prison, you came to visit me. When I was sick, you know, you took care of me. So I'm like, okay, I can start there. And there's a little, a little statement in Matthew 25 where he says, when you did it to the least of these, you did it for me. So I found that that's really where I could be effective is not with the greatest of those because those guys are super busy. They have all these other friends. They've got a lot of distractions. For me, it was everywhere we go, let's search for who in society is the least of these, whether it's the homeless, whether it's the addict, whether it's whatever it is, the single mom who's struggling to get by. So down there, it's like, okay, let's go to these communities that are even the least of these in Tijuana and let's just serve them and let's just love them and let's just give to them. So we did that, and I just got my Bible talk. It was just a small Bible talk, and I, they ended up buying into it, you know, which, you know, I don't know if that was dumb or smart on their part, but, you know, we went down and started helping out. And, and of course, like I was saying, I don't speak Spanish, and, and the coach doesn't speak English. Even to this day, I don't speak Spanish, and he doesn't speak English. And we've been doing this since 2014. So the first year, we started pulling some kids off the streets. Uh, we had one team of uh, boys ages 14 to 16. And he started developing them and training them. And within that first year, we placed five of them professionally. 
with professional teams. And this has never been done before in Tijuana. Tijuana has never provided any professional players anywhere. And yet now we're pulling all these kids out of the barrio and doing it. So it was pretty, it was pretty amazing in the community's eyes of, okay, guys, what in the world are you doing? So anyway, we had a party. Now at this time, the club started getting to be about 70 kids. And we had one major team and everybody started to keep coming more and they started coming more because the coach was very disciplined with them. And the whole thing to be a part of our club, you can't just um, stop doing bad. You have to start doing good. You have to start promoting peace. One of the guys, the, he's, a, he's the only guy that spoke English and he was the uncle of our coach. And the guy, the, my, the, the coach for our team, all of his uncles and all of his cousins are, are all Sinaloa cartel guys. He grew up in Sinaloa, and then his dad moved him to a place called Colima, which is right outside Guadalajara, to get him out of the cartel. So he moved to Colima, was raised in Colima, and became a professional soccer player. So all of his family are cartel guys, but they protect him, and they don't give him a problem because he was a professional athlete. And so because we were serving the community, they protected a lot of the stuff that we were doing. And so um, we started working in this, this community controlled by the warring cartels. Right in the middle of where we work, you have the T Tijuana cartel and the Sinaloa cartel fighting for um, territory, but also fighting for kids to do the drug deals, to do the prostitution. So in order for us to do this, I said, okay, Ulysses, set up a meeting with the leaders of both of those sides so that we can talk to them and ask for peace to be able to let us do this. And so he did. And so we met with them and we said, hey, look it, we want to be able to let these kids start uh, practicing and getting involved with soccer and go to school. And we want to help them create a future for themselves, but we need your permission. We need your, your um, blessing for us to be able to do that. So the, the head of the Sinaloa cartel for the Tijuana area said, oh, absolutely. My, my nephew is one of the guys that, that was the five that went professional. He goes, but it's the other guys that are the problem. So you need to go talk to them. So then we said, okay, cool. So we have his blessing. So then we went to the other side, the Tijuana cartel guys, and we met with them and said the same thing. And he said, my niece is on one of your girls' teams. So I love what you guys are doing. So... It was like, okay, great. And they said, but you got to do two things. You just got to stay in your car, Jeff, or in Ulysses' car. So we'll protect you guys as long as that's what's going on. So we're like, okay, that's cool. And this was back in 2014. And so we started doing that, getting kids off the street, getting them involved with soccer. Um, and so then at this party, the, the, the uncle, who's one of the cartel guys, said, Hey, Jeff, because he speaks English. He was the only one that spoke English. So I have the, one of the main cartel guys translating for me while we're working with the soccer club. <laughs> and they're asking the question. They go, okay, Jeff, why are you doing this? That was, this was after about a year we're down there. They go, why are you doing this? And I said, well, let me tell you about who I am. Let me tell you about my life. So I started sharing about what we were doing in the Middle East with planning churches and using sports to help change people's lives and promote peace. And the whole idea is wherever we go, we want to promote peace. We want to help people find, and the whole, it all gets back to Jesus being the Prince of Peace, right? And so we always talk about peace and we talk a lot about, does it take a stronger man to be a man of violence or a man of peace? We said in this, in this 
area that you're living? Does it take a stronger man to be a man of peace and a woman of peace or a man of violence? A hundred percent of the kids, a hundred percent of the cartel guys that we're talking to all say a man of peace. So we said, okay, great. We're looking to work with the strongest people in this community, not the weakest. And by definition, the strongest people in this community are going to be men of peace and women of peace. And that's what our club is about. So we had, to, we, we had these wristbands made that, that said, I am the power of peace. And so they all, whoever's part of our club wore the band. And if they found some kid that was caught up in something, then they went to them and gave them the band and called them to be a part of our club. And whenever they wore that band, they had to, you know, they were representing our club. They were representing peace. So um, I was sharing a little bit about the church and what we were doing in the Middle East, planning churches. So Clemente, the uncle, the cartel guy said, hey, Jeff, can you study the Bible with us like you did with the people in the Middle East, because we would love to be a part of what you're doing. Um, because that sounds like something that we could all get behind. And I'm like, sure. So we started then studying the Bible with all 70 kids at the time. Now, I'm going down with the translator. And so the whole idea and the mentality that I come from, that I had to learn over time was, there was a, a mentality in the beginning that where we're going, we're bringing God to people. And I'm like, I learned over time, that is absolutely not the case. God is there way before we even set foot there. God's down there working. God's down there working in the hearts of people. God's down there, you know, working the soil that we're, all we're doing is we're going and getting involved with where God is already working. It's just kind of where is God inviting us to be a part of what he's already doing. And we're, it's kind of like we're going to someone's house and they say, hey, can you come help me with my yard today? You're not going there deciding what you're going to do for them for their yard. You just show up and you say, okay, where do you need me? What are you doing? And that's what we did in the Middle East. We learned that in the Middle East. And that's what I learned down in Mexico. So I was like, okay, God, where are you working? Okay, I see you're working in this area because these guys are, are soft soil. I mean, these hearts are really soft and they're hungry and they're eager and they're the least of these. They're very humble. And so we started studying out, starting with Mark, because Mark's more of an action-packed book. So the kids love that. It's like one thing to the next, to the next, to the next. And then we studied out John about how Jesus could relate more to them than he could to me. Jesus was poor. He was homeless. And we went through and just studied out the Bible. So then what started happening is these kids started coming, all studying the Bible, asking questions, and, and they started bringing some of their friends. And in fact, these two brothers, I mean, it's crazy how the Bible comes alive down there. So there's these two brothers, um, guys named Daniel and a guy's named Kevin, but their, their nicknames, everybody on the team has a nickname. But the nickname was uh, Pedaka and Pedakin, which is Big Bird and Little Bird. And so because they were, they were two brothers. And so we called them kind of James and John, right? I mean, it was just kind of like, okay, that's who these guys are. Well, one day we're doing some of the studies and we start getting involved with some of the studies that go through sin. Because the whole issue we talk about is the parable of the soils, is that everyone, every person here, their heart is a soil. And God's going to work with you according to the soil. And we've got to see how we can make our heart and make our life what it needs to be for the soil. 
So anyway, we're talking about sin, and we're kind of doing a, for lack of a better word, light and darkness study. So Pentecost and Pentecost decide to bring their mom, because they're back home talking about everything we're studying. So their mom is super excited, encouraged, and interested in what we're doing. So she shows up to the study. So we're sitting there in the study going around. We've got boys and girls, and we're not like, I mean, it's just a virgin territory. It's just very simple hearts. And we're just talking through what keeps us from our walk with God. So then I'm like, oh, my gosh, what's mom going to think? Mom is like, this is so awesome. My boys were telling me about it, but I didn't believe it, so I had to come. Next week, she brings one of her friends, which is the mom of one of the other boys that we call Harry Potter because he wears glasses. His nickname was Harry. I'm like, Harry? What Mexican kid is named Harry? And they go, Harry, like Harry Potter, because he, he looks like a Mexican Harry Potter. So now we got these women coming and studying. I mean, it's just crazy. It's like there's no rhyme or reason to it, but it's, it's just what God has prepared and, and how the Spirit has been working in those areas. And so we start, you know, studying the Bible more and more with these guys, um, and things are moving a, a, around pretty quickly, but a lot of crazy stuff starts happening. I mean, you know, our club starts getting more and more kids to where now we're about 200 kids. And so different things happen. I mean, that it's not, it's not, you know, one of the challenges I felt in the ministry for years was, okay, guys, we got to go find somebody open. And it was like, dude, that is so out of my control. I can't, I can't go find somebody open or go, go change somebody's heart. It's like, that's not even my role. That's the Holy Spirit's role. My role is just to go out and serve people and go out and be curious and talk about people and love people. I mean, the greatest command is love God and love others, not share your faith and bring someone to church. So I had to go really trust that, okay, God, you're going to, and what was interesting is, as we started sharing our lives and serving, they started asking the questions. And as they asked the questions, then we share our faith. Then we can share our faith because now they're wondering, why is it you're doing this? I mean, what do you want from us? And the other thing that was so interesting is, of course, Jesus talks about going and inviting people or serving people that cannot pay you back. I want to go towards people that can bring something to us, bring something to our church, bring something to us personally. But it really showed me that when they start asking questions, if they have nothing that they can give you, it's a real pure motivation. So they're asking, okay, Jeff, why are you doing this? And they know, okay, Jeff, we have nothing we can pay you back. We, we, we don't even have houses. Half the kids don't even have homes. We don't have food. Why are you here? We have nothing to offer you. And it's like, I'm not here to, uh, to have something from you. I'm here to somehow show you God in your life that you may not be recognizing, that he's working down here way before we got here. We're just trying to figure out what God's doing and be a part of it. And um, so as those things started going, it was really interesting. So just a cool little thing that, that happens is we don't have to do anything. God does everything. God does the miracles. So there were two coaches. One of them was corrupt, and he's gone. He's been gone for a while. And so, but the other guy, Ulysses, the professional soccer player, is an angel. I mean, he's awesome. So we went down there in one of the first – in the first month that we met these guys, we went to Costco down there because they do have Costco in Tijuana. And we got all this food for each family, for Ulysses' family um, and for this other guy's family. 
and we got the same amount of rice, beans, big bulk stuff, toilet paper for the, the one coach, Raul. And all that was in his house was him and his wife and they had a little baby. And he didn't want anybody coming to his house because he just wasn't that kind of a guy. Ulysses, on the other hand, had him, his wife, their young daughter, and then he had six players living with him in his one bedroom house because they were homeless. So he has six players living with him. He has at least 12 players eating all their meals at his house, going to the bathroom there, everything. So I come down and after about three weeks, I'm like, Ulysses, do we need to go back to the store and replenish you with the different food? Because it's got to be gone by now. He goes, Jeff, you're not going to believe this. He goes, after the second week, Raul came and asked me for more food because they were out. And he goes, so we gave him some more food. He goes, but these kids are eating milk, cereal, going to the bathroom, all this stuff. And he goes, it's at least 15 people, 12, 12 players, and then me and my wife and our kids. And he goes, we have to joke because every morning we get up and the milk is not gone and the toilet paper's not gone. It's been over a month and a, a month. He counted a month and 10 days. And he goes, and we still have it. And so we st then, we, of course, we went to the, the uh, Elijah and the widow and the oil. And we're like, and he was like, yeah, this is exactly it. God keeps supplying it at night when we're sleeping because it's not going away. He goes, how do you explain this where this one family goes through their stuff and we're not? And it's just them seeing how God is working that we can't explain. And so fast forward a couple years, um, we have now 200 kids. And I'm like, okay, what's their need? And so I go down there and I'm like, Ulysses, what is your guy's biggest need? He goes, Jeff, we don't have any uniforms. I'm like, okay, how many uniforms do you need? He goes, well, we need about 200. And I'm thinking to myself, well, that ain't going to happen. Dude, there's no way I can, we have no money. We can't afford, you know, 10 uniforms, much less 200. And so, um, I'm like, okay, well, let's, well, you know, we'll see what we can do. And uh, then we left from there and we went to this other community that we're all working with, that these boys are reaching out to, that they're serving and they're coaching some of these younger kids off the streets for soccer. And so I was talking to this, this guy who we were going to do some medical brigades at their, um, their school. And I said, what's the biggest need here for the school? He says, well, we don't have any food. He goes, these kids, a lot of them don't eat meals for you know, uh, for three or four days. And he goes, if we could just have one meal a day for all the kids, that would be awesome. I go, okay, well, how many kids are there? He goes, well, with the elementary school to high school, it's probably about a thousand kids. I'm just like, whoa. I'm like, I have no idea. So on the way driving back to the border to come back across to the U.S., I haven't had time to talk to anybody about what I'm doing. While I'm driving, I get a phone call and I pick it up, and it's from a soccer coach up here that I'm doing college nights for, because I've done a lot of college nights for a lot of the soccer clubs here. And he says, hey, Jeff. I go, yeah. He goes, are you still working with that club in Mexico? I go, yeah. He goes, hey, can you come by our, our storage tomorrow? I've got 1,500 jerseys I want to give you. I'm like, what the heck? I haven't even had a chance to talk to anybody about this thing yet. And it was that day. So I go across the border and I'm going across the border to a meeting I have to go through in San Diego for a cross-border coalition where a lot of these guys who work cross-border are there. So I'm there at this meeting 
And a guy comes up to me and goes, are you Jeff? I go, yeah, I'm Jeff. He goes, are you still working with that soccer club in Mexico? I go, yeah. He goes, can I grab breakfast with you tomorrow? He goes, I've got to leave right now, but I want to grab breakfast. And one thing I learned is always say yes. Just go where you're invited. And God sends angels that are strangers that you don't know they're angels. And then that's kind of how, as long as we're nice to people and serving people, he'll start leading us through the different angels he sends our way. So anyway, the next morning I go down and I grab breakfast at a Panera with this guy, this older guy. I know nothing about him. So me and one of my buddies, Chris Smith, goes down there with me. We sit down there and we're eating. And he goes, do you know why I'm here? I'm like, no idea. He goes, do you know what I do? I go, absolutely no idea. He goes, can you tell me a little bit about your soccer club? So I tell him about the soccer club and I go, dude, you're not going to believe what happened yesterday. So I tell him the story about the, the soccer uniforms. I'm like, this is crazy. This is all God. This is amazing. There's no other way to explain it. And he goes, so what other meetings did you have down there? I said, well, the next meeting I met with this, this school and we're trying to do a medical brigade there. Um, but I was asking them their needs. And he goes, well, what's their need? And I go, well, their need is food. They don't have any food for these kids at school. And he goes, well, that's why I'm here. I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, I'm here because I heard about what you're doing. And what we do is we provide food for different communities internationally. He goes, how many, how many do you need? I go, well, it's a thousand kids and they want one meal a day, five days a week. So he's like, okay, so that's 5,000 meals a week times 52 weeks. He goes, okay, let's say 50 or whatever, you know, because of holidays. He goes, okay, so 250,000 meals. I'm like, I guess. He goes, done. I'm like, what? Now, understand, I haven't talked to anybody about any of this. It's just, not only is it the need, I didn't even know the need was going to be there. But before the need was even presented to me, there were guys that were answering that need. And God was just connecting us before I... And so the cool thing is no one can take credit for it. I don't even speak Spanish. So Ulysses <laughs> and I, between us, none of us can take credit for anything. But to see these things happen, now Ulysses and, and Sochi, his wife, and all these kids are like, man, God is working here. We just never had seen it. And that's what we were telling them. It's like, guys, not that suddenly God just shows up because we're here. God's been working here. God's yeah. been working in your guys' lives to get you to really try to find out and seek him and serve him. So anyway, so that started happening there. And over time, I'm, you know, I don't know how, how we've been going pretty long now, but fast forward to where we are right now. These kids, most of them are homeless. Most of them were pulled off the street a while ago. So we got Got them all into to school. They were all going to school. They were all going to high school. Our first level of players are older kids. We had the first, we had last year 18 kids take college entrance exams. And in Mexico, a third of people that take the college exams get accepted. There are just not that many spots for that many kids. So we had 18 kids take the college entrance exam. 18 kids got accepted. And we're like, what the heck? So we had 18 kids accepted. That was last year. Today, as of starting this week, we have 32 kids in college that were off the streets. And so the whole community is like, we've never seen anything like this. This is just crazy what's going on. 
Now understand these kids are also out there promoting peace. Whenever it rains out there, these houses flood because there's nothing there. So they go down there, put tarps on the thing, get food. During COVID, you know, we've been supporting, of course, the club, but all these people in Mexico lose their jobs and they're just taco vendors or they're just working for these companies. So they all get laid off. So our soccer club that now these players have no money, no food. We're barely taking care of the guys that are in the club. They decided to go out themselves, talk to the different restaurants or talk to the different supermarkets, talk to different friends, go pitch in a little bit that they had, go buy waters and go some on the street. With those players now, we're able to support 65 families in this community during all of COVID with food, rent, electricity, and all this stuff. And it's not by anything me or Ulysses is doing. It's the new players that have learned this stuff that are going, hey, just because we have this, we can't keep this for ourselves. We need to go share this with others. So it's just been crazy going through this. So Ulysses, last week when I was talking to him, um, he said, Jeff, you know, one of the things my wife and I, you know, Sochi and I decided about probably a year ago was we pretty much moved up here to be a part of Tijuana and things didn't work out for my job. And so I thought, well, let's start getting kids off the street. Let's start doing this so I could make a name for myself. Not necessarily make a name for myself, but I could use my name and, and do something good for my life, you know, to help others. He goes, but now seeing what God has been doing, and now we have over 200 kids, 32 kids in college. He's like, we're going, we really believe that it's God that's here and we can't stop serving. Now it's just about us trying to just do what God wants us to do and getting other people to see the miracles that we've seen. He goes, because you can't explain it. I share this with my family. I share this with my friends and we just can't explain it. So it's really kind of crazy the different stuff that's happening and the different stuff that's going on down there. One of the things we learn is it's like, for me, it's like, I don't, I've realized there's only one thing I'm sure of in life. There's only one thing I know for sure. And it's that I'm not yet fully aware of how little I know. That's the only thing I'm sure of. So for me to try to figure out what God is doing or what I need to do next or where I need to go, I can't even figure out basic stuff in my life. It's more of like, okay, God, let me be aware of who you're bringing and what you're bringing into our lives and help me just serve and love people and have conversations with people that, that no one else will have. Well, it's amazing because I believe that God sent us Ulysses, the coach, as an angel to help us in our work down there. They believe that God sent me in our group as their angel to help these things get done. What's really cool is Ulysses and the soccer kids, they're growing up and all they know now is God doing miracles. Is they know about the uniforms, they know about the food that didn't go out. They see, you know, these cartel guys leaving and no longer involved. That's all they know. So their faith is very pure. I'm sitting back here going, dude, this is amazing. And none of us can take credit. And that's the beauty of all this. It was like God putting all this thing together. So that's what it's like sharing our faith. So when we talk about sharing our faith, and when you hear these guys share about what's going on, 
all these kids are like when they get picked up by a soccer team out there, those coaches are like calling us up going, we've never seen any kids clean up afterwards. They, they serve, they help take care, they do their own dishes, they make their own beds. We've never seen anything like this. And these are just kids who that's all they've known is they've seen as a part of this club. That's just the right thing to do. And so we're just sitting here going, okay, God, it takes kind of the pressure off, off of us to figure out what God wants us to do. It's more of the pressure is how do we do what God's, what the doors are that God's opening? It's more of, okay, God, you open that door. How do we now make this happen? And how do we get through it? And how do we get others involved that, that want to be a part of it without polluting, without bringing in an agenda? We could not have an agenda that, oh, every kid has to become a disciple to be a part of our club. That wouldn't fly at all. And that's not what we're there for. We're there just to, to love God, love others. If they're hungry, give them something to eat. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. If they're sick, take care of them. If they're in prison, go and visit them. I mean, and literally these things are happening. And God is, all we do is plant and water. And God makes it grow. And in religious theory, that all sounds good. But for us down there, that's our reality. All we know how to do is plant and water. We'll just go plant the seeds and we'll just water it. And we'll just, but God, you got to make it grow. And we don't even know where it's going to go or what it's going to do. And it's amazing. You decide to start serving people. Um, even wherever you go, you start serving. God is going to take you down a rabbit hole that day that you're going to have stories to talk about for the next week. It's just that we're too busy looking for that person that is open to coming to church. I think there's a lot of people open to God. And not a lot of people want to go to church because I just don't trust people. So we're, for me, I'm not here even to bring them God. I'm here to show them how God is already working in their lives and how we can all work at this together. <laughs> and that, my friends, is Jeff Wattstrom. How can you not be motivated and inspired when you hear things like that? God is at work. We forget that God is able to do whatever it is he desires to do without us, but yet he chooses to partner with us. The question is, are we willing, as Jeff pointed out, to walk through the doors that God has already opened, not giving ourselves credit, but giving all credit to God? So Jeff, again, thank you so much. I know that this will be one that people will listen to often. I believe this is where God wants us to be. This is indeed what true ministry looks like. So Jeff, thank you for sharing. Thank you for pointing out what is already known, but we forget and we simply do not see the hand of God at work. You are amazing, my friend. Thank you. Until next week, everyone, be on the lookout in your life and in the life of others for the hand of God. For we are indeed angels in disguise. Thank you, everyone, for listening in. I hope you've been enlightened and encouraged. I want to say thank you to my incredible guests this week and a special thanks to my music man, Mr. David Burnett Graham. Follow me on Instagram, everybody. And until next time, be on the lookout for the hand of God.